0: Hello and welcome to episode 174 of Page One, the Writers Podcast. I'm Tarek.
1: I'm Marco, and thanks for joining us on the podcast where we like to speak to writers of all kinds about their writing careers, find out how they got into the industry, and try and get as many hints and tips as possible. Uh, and we have a great guest today, someone that has gone through the self-publishing into trad publishing world.
0: Yeah, we're chatting with the fantastic Alexander Darwin, who has written uh, The Combat Codes, which is a really cool, we call it Science Fantasy, which I think
1: is a really um description. Yeah, we discuss how he, it was really to Lee that gave him that description. That's
0: right, so it was, yeah. Uh, and it's a kind of, it's a really cool idea of... Uh, of a world where, the, when a country goes to war with another country, rather than sending armies to fight each other, they send a single fighter to yeah. to, to, to to fight in unarmed combat. Yeah, which I think it's just a because brilliant. Uh, yeah, concept.
1: Alex is is uh, he teaches uh, I think mixed martial arts and and mm-hmm. um, you know so he brings that expertise into it. But we chat as well about how when you have that expertise, obviously you can bring that sort of real knowledge into the book but you don't want to overwhelm the reader with it either so there's a skill in knowing how much to put in how much to leave out and that sort of Mm -hmm. thing as well so it's it's a really interesting chat really interesting hearing how he got his start with the self-publishing how he made a success Mm -hmm. of that and then moved into traditional publishing Mm -hmm. so and we'll get and also actually there's a shout out for a previous guest um uh Nick Binge and his novel Ascension as well. We chat a bit about that. Um, and before we get into the episode, I did want to just say that if you're in Scotland near Stirling on uh, next weekend, the fifteenth of September, um, Bloody Scotland, the crime writing festival is in is on in Stirling, and uh, Tarek and I are both hosting separate talks with some great authors there. There are tickets still available, as far as I know. So. Uh, you can check those out. I'm hosting the, the chat with Jelly McMillan, uh, Catherine Faulkner, and Stig Abel. Who, who's your guests, Tarek?
0: I'm chatting with uh, Will Dean, Amy McCulloch, and Catherine Cooper uh, about High Seas, High Stakes, all crime novels set on cruise ships.
1: Yeah, so um, obviously, if there were some some page one loyal listeners there, then well, that would be great. Uh, but we, yeah, we, do we should
0: have a name for them?
1: I know we, we, we need, we need to I thought, I Pages
0: Pages are for the, the one person who turns up in the audience <laughs> uh, Yeah
1: we'll, we'll, we'll come up with a name for, for those two loyal listeners that we have <laughs> um, but yeah we'll get straight into the podcast after a quick advert for our writer's notebook and then we'll be back at the end of the podcast with a bit more chat and to let you know about next week's guest
0: But for now on with the podcast
1: The Blank Page To some it's terrifying An obstacle to overcome
0: Every story starts with page one.
1: Did you always want to be a writer? You know, uh, I think it,
2: it it's a similar story to what I've heard from a lot of friends who, who are authors as well as listening to podcasts like these, um, where I didn't quite know that being an author was an actual profession as a kid. It was just because I didn't have an, an author in my family I didn't know any authors that did that as a as a vocation or a profession or even on the side really to be honest at least none that told me about it maybe they, maybe they were ashamed <laughs> but but um I was always storytelling and and um you know writing uh fan fiction for the various um you know fantasy sci-fi books that I was reading I was a big fan of like R.A. Salvatore uh Drist oh, yeah. uh, uh-huh. books when I was growing up and uh, Dragonlance the Chronicles and I was always in those worlds, um, I, but it wasn't until um, actually I saw uh, where I'm from Boston and there was a, a Boston Globe article about R.A. Salvatore and he's local to this area. And that yeah. I think that was the moment when I, I, you know, I picked up the the physical paper at that time because we got the paper and um, I, I saw a picture of him and I said, who is that guy? And then I read the headline and it said, you know, Bob, R.A. Salvatore local neighbor and it kind of like clicked. like wait a second this is a, a this guy who i've been reading for 10 years is an actual person <laughs> yeah <laughs> and i think that was the moment when i realized and and you know as, as happens to many of us i i my path was all over the place um you know life and work and kids all all were were things that came prior to actually pursuing getting published and or rather publishing my book First, it was self-published and then getting it acquired by Orbit. Um, so that was kind of the journey.
1: Yeah, I, I wanted to ask about that because obviously you did go down that that self-published route. Um, was that a deliberate choice? Had you tried to get agents before or did you want to try the self-publishing first? How, you know, how did you end up on that path initially?
2: Yeah, I think my entire path here has kind of been, um, I don't want to say... You know, dumb luck, but I, almost um, stupidity <laughs> as far as as far as not knowing what was out there. So, like, the reason I self published was not because I knew there was a choice between self pub and trad. I was working in Silicon Valley. I was li- living out in San Francisco, and I had just gotten, I had just had a, I just run a startup to the ground, and it failed. <laughs> and um, I was in that world where um, you know all the web. It was kind of in the early two thousands, uh, rather mid two thousands and all the, you know, web 2.0 tools and social media were just starting to take off. And so when I really just was, you know, I had been writing for my whole life and I had a, a, you know, all sorts of sorts of manuscripts that obviously weren't published that I was just more doing for myself. Um, but then I saw there were tools just through, you know, Gizmodo or wired or one of these, uh magazines that to to self-publish. Um I saw Amazon was obviously making a big play with KDP um at that time. And of course read about um, you know, success stories like Hugh Howie, um mm-hmm. uh, and Andy Weir, um, you know, the real, the real big ones. And so I didn't even think about traditional publishing. I didn't think about querying agents. I just said, wow, look at these tools. This is really fantastic. You can do this yourself and kind of went down that path almost like starting a new business, um, mm-hmm. even though I was working full time, and and kind of figured out that and had a lot of fun, um, to be honest. And that's what I tell authors now that, you know, want to self-publish, you really have to run your own business. And if you're mm-hmm. going to do it well and distinguish yourself from the mass of other ones, you have to invest, you have to take some risk and invest money as well as obviously time. Um, and so I went down that path without, again, without really knowing that traditional was something that was out there and so um you know one thing led to another uh obviously eventually it got acquired and i i kind of again went backwards in the in the traditional publishing path um but but, uh that that's a different story
1: (laughs) yeah i mean we'll we'll get to that i'm sure but just on the self-publishing stuff how you you know you say approach it like a business and we have had other Mm -hmm. guests on the podcast who have been very successful with self-publishing who say the same sort of thing but i mean you know what steps did you take? Did you hire an editor? Did you get a cover designed? All this sort of stuff. What, what steps yeah. did you have to go through before you actually clicked publish on right. Amazon?
2: And so again, sort of like uh, I, I see the combat codes almost uh, like a, a startup in that there have been various iterations, including um, the traditionally published version, which is which is just coming out now. Um, the the first iteration. Um, where, again, where I first came upon KDP and the tools um, w- was, you know, I, I went through the most basic steps. I, I hired a cover designer, a fit, uh, fairly cheap, um, kind of just one of these big cover designing houses. Um, and I, I that's re and then I, that's really all I did at that point. So I, I, and again, at that point I was, I did not see this as a, Business, I didn't see. I saw it as just, hey, this is going to be cool to get my work out there. Mm-hmm. Um, this is like almost like a trial, like a beta, beta version to test what KDP is all about, mm-hmm. um, to look at their tools. And the book, um, you know, I teach martial arts and the book has a ton of martial arts in it. And it really was just aimed at that point at other martial artists. I wasn't even thinking about sci-fi fantasy, to be honest. <laughs> I said, hey, this would be cool if some other martial artists could read it. And so that was iteration number one. And I kind of put it down until then moved on to other things until, um, there's a contest called SPFBO, um, which is fairly prevalent now and, and distinguished amongst indie authors in the sci-fi fantasy community, Mark Lawrence, uh, created it. And I think it's like now on the ninth or 10th, even iteration of it, They, they run one per year and it's fantastic. Um. I was in the the sixth one. I kind of submitted. I found out about it, you know, like a couple days prior to the deadline that year. It was the pandemic year, 2020. So I, I of course, was like going out of my mind, stuck in my house and I don't know, doom scrolling or something. <laughs> and I uh, saw that there was this contest, hadn't heard of it before and said, hey, you know what? I have this this. Uh, this manuscript uh, that I previously self-published the combat codes. um, Why don't I give it a shot and submit it? And surprisingly in a sci-fi fantasy contest, um, or I guess it's, it's fantasy and that we can get to that. That was a big controversy actually with my book. (laughs) We can get that that separately. It's a fantasy (laughs) contest. um, And um, I submitted it and it did really well. And it got through to the, to the finals and that got a lot of eyes on it and kind of was proof of concept that this book um, had legs for, um, sci-fi fantasy readers, beyond martial artists. And so then that was kind of like iteration number two, where I actually put some more time and money into it. I hired a um, copy editor um, for a new iteration and um, a, a cover designer, Felix Ortiz, who does fantastic work. And, um, you know, again, that was like version two for for SPFBO and, and it made it again to the finals. And um, so I, I did invest a bit more at that point. Um, and also put some more marketing effort into it because it was getting, it was getting some more, um, a lot more eyeballs on it due to SPFBO and the way that it goes, there's judges and they, they help promote it. And as it gets into the finals, there's a lot of promotion that goes into it. So I was trying to, um, bully that with, with more of my own marketing. And I tried out, um, you know, Amazon marketing, Facebook, Instagram, all of that stuff Mm -hmm. at that point, um, to get, to get, you know, a lot more eyes in. It. And that's really how, um, orbit one of the ways I, there was probably, it was probably multifaceted as far as how they found it. Um, but one of the ways that it got, you know, under orbit's radar as far as the traditional acquisition.
1: In terms of those different methods that you tried, did anything work better than the other things? Just thinking for listeners that, that might be wanting to try some more thing. I
2: think I, unfortunately, um, I'm not, too scientific with the way I do it so I probably I pro- there's other people in the self publishing space that would be a lot more you know data driven on the way they're going to be able to tell mm-hmm. you what works and what doesn't but I really did find the you know and again there's no tr- pr- tried and true method to get into SBFBO, but I think that was probably the you know without that as kind of a catalyst mm-hmm. I don't think I would have been as successful with the other marketing methods because it might've been, you know, the, the old adage that like, in order for someone to buy your book, they have to like, see it seven or eight times. And I think that holds true with, with traditional. Um, it may be a little different between self pub and traditional, but I think that is true. And when I think about my own buying habits, uh, for books that, you know, I haven't heard of before that, that does seem to be true. So I think it was like SPFBO, um, you know, it was on people's radar in that community and people that followed that. And then if I were to Get an ad in front of them through one of these other, uh, whether it be Amazon or or Facebook or Instagram, um, then that probably added to the, the conversion rate um, of of getting people to get the book.
0: And you know, I mean, something that we've often heard from people who go down the traditional route is that you kind of it's all about. Where would the publisher see your book on a shelf? You know, how do you market it? They need to be like, "Oh, this is a crime novel. Or this is a fantasy novel." And your novel, it seems to kind of, it kind of crosses genres a little bit. Like it's not easily marketable or or or, or definable. I think, and as as a lot of books might be, and I think that's a strength of it. But I can see from a, a traditional publisher's point of view, they would be a bit wary of that. But do you think, do you think, you know, you, you almost needed to go out there and? proving that, that it had legs and it had and people were interested in it was a really was almost an easier way to kind of get your foot in the door traditionally as opposed to if you just went to them straight off the bat and they might have been like oh this is, I don't know what we do with this kind of book
2: yeah no uh a few a few things there uh I could talk about this a lot I mean to go back <laughs> to um the the kind of cross genre um that was actually I wouldn't say controversy, but that was a a point of of heated discussion within the SPFBO judging teams, because, um, you know, again, it's a fantasy competition, but a lot of judges in the finals saw it as a sci fi book. And so they were like demoting my they were like, well, I really loved your book. But it's not fantasy. Three out of ten. <laughs> so it became. But then other judges were like, "No, it is." And it really opened up. It, you know, it was great because it opened up so many discussions about that we love. We love to talk about.
0: Uh, well, loads of about, folks like, say what, Star Wars is a fantasy film, and I've never oh, yes. quite understood that. Cause right. To me, it seems a very obvious. A space wizard. But
1: space wizards. But right. Well, there you go. You guys
0: are going to have. But then the surely right anything. <laughs> but then you
1: can make anything fantasy,
0: and anything well, can be sci-fi. Right, it's like, so is that is, the argument that yeah, basically
1: it's well, I go, on, You
2: know. Yeah. I always refer to um the first person to blurb my book, The Combat Codes, who is Fonda Lee, and I love her books and mm-hmm. she's she's you know far better at describing my own book than I am. <laughs> so she described it as um a science fantasy martial arts extravaganza, which I love and again science that's fantasy, the way
0: see I... that's quite a nice yes. I like that. Um
2: and I do I do describe it as science fantasy, um okay. because um, I am not I don't come from a science background I don't try any of the tech that is in the book I don't try with any real effort to describe in in detail these it's like for example I was just on a panel with um, an author I love Adrian Tchaikovsky and it's like if you read his books it's like yeah this is sci-fi and the way he describes it it's truly sci-fi the way he goes into detail about um, you know evolutionary processes and all that yeah, the, the technology
0: um, works or the right and, and the, yeah.
2: but mine is really i would describe it as magitech in fact i'm heavily inspired by like uh, final fantasy games and jrpgs and those are not pigeonholed by genre like books are and they they don't just, they, like final fantasy games if you look at them they're not you wouldn't say this is sci-fi or fantasy you'd say this is like a jrpg um yeah, to, yeah. to some yeah, effect totally. and yeah um anyways to jump to um Jump to your next point about whether or not it would have been easier to go through a traditional path. Um, that's really tough for me to say because everything was pretty backwards with the way that I did it. And um, I I don't think that I think it would have if it was the combat codes and I was querying it, it actually probably would have been more difficult than the path I took. But that is not me saying that the path I took is something that someone someone else should try necessarily because I think it was just everything was lined up in the right place for it to work as far as getting into SPFBO, as far as getting the right judging team that actually was behind the book and um, enjoyed the book enough to send it to the finals. There are just so many variables and factors that lined up, like with everything. But um, at each point, you know, I pushed it as hard as I could. I put all the work I could. But then there's the factor of luck that is essential to get through each of these steps. Um, In fact, the path to publication was even more backwards than one would expect, where I ended up with a film agent prior to getting a literary agent prior to getting Orbit to pick up the book, which is also what ended up helping it because the, the, the book was optioned or attempted to be optioned while it was self pub. And then I didn't know what to do because I, I was like, what do I do here? And was able Mm -hmm. to get a film, a film agent, a book to film agent.
0: Mm -hmm.
2: And then they were like, do you have a literary agent? And I was like, no, I don't have a literary agent because this book is self published. And so I, I, there's no reason I would have one. So then I got a literary agent um, and then we sold it orbit so again it seemed like everything was
0: so the you, back yeah but backwards but you, you you got your agent then before before the orbit deal was even on the horizon or did the orbit kind of interest help get you the agent was it was the agent?
2: around the same time but the the okay. i got my ed ed wilson who's a great agent um prior to the orbit deal and he yeah, okay. he, yeah.
1: and, and uh, we've talked around it but you just want to tell us and the listeners what the combat codes is about
2: sure um well, this isn't this is not a video interview, but I'll hold it up just just to show you can see. it. Um, yeah. yeah. Again, fondly describes it best. <laughs> a uh, science fantasy martial arts extravaganza. Um, it it takes place in a world where uh, wars between nations have been replaced with single combat duels between champions and more specifically unarmed combat. So I've always been a fan of swords and sorcery and Uh, But I I, because I'm a martial artist, I wanted to create a world that um, didn't put weapons at the forefront. I I just thought, how cool would it be? There's an academy setting. um, There's a found uh, family trope that is at the center. Um, There's two primary characters that kind of follow uh, another trope, which is one of my favorites, like the lone wolf and cub trope, which you'll find in like Mm. the Mandalorian with uh, Mando and Grogu. Or Syrian Geralt, uh, or um, Ellie and Joel in The Last of Us. All those—they're like my favorite shows. I love that trope, and so that's kind of a centerpiece to it as well.
0: It's such a great concept for a story. There's no wars. It's just you get one chance. Each country puts forward, or nation puts forward, a person to fight someone else, and that's the—that's how how hell they decide. Right. I've concept. heard.
2: I don't know if it was from another author in your podcast or another podcast or just talking with another author, but I've heard someone say that most. Uh, stories come from either the seed of world building the seed of character development or the seed Mm. of narrative and uh, the combat codes definitely uh, thinking back on it was from world building asking the question okay what would a world look like um, that had that political system and that that created all these other questions like okay like if you can imagine the olympics and like what different countries do to make their athletes better and like all the scandals that have happened with like Mm -hmm. doping and like can you imagine if it was the olympics but actually resources and land and diplomacy depended on these these uh sports um what would what would happen to these people like if the resources were yeah right and that kind of led down to that's like what created the i guess the sci-fi aspect um of of this world
1: and i I want to ask you about timing as well because you know, a lot of our guests say that timing is so vital in terms of getting picked up or a book's, a particular book's success and things like that. And obviously, you um, entered SPFB, what was it? Self published fantasy so S- S- blog off. Some something.
2: people say Spiffbo, and then, right. that's another debate. I get, people like to get in debates apparently in this community. It's Spiffbo. <laughs> I say SPFBO, but come on. Right. Either I, okay. I
0: can think of one way to settle <laughs> this argument.
2: <laughs> yeah, <side. laughs> Puts forward a fighter. Yes. <laughs> you
1: and three. <me. laughs> <laughs> okay. Oh uh, um, but I, I wondered, because obviously, I mean, you've already mentioned Lee, uh but her uh, Jade City, Jade Legacy books almost created a, or opened people's eyes to the, the idea of fantasy that isn't medieval I mean, not just hers, but, you know, she had great success with that sort of book. And it's like yours, it has martial arts in it and things like that. So do you think that the fact that these books were suddenly around and having success has helped with your own books and people sort of thinking, oh, this this is the sort of book that people actually like. So I'll, I'll right. look at this.
2: Yeah, I think um, as far as acquisition, yes, 100%, given I know the way that or what i've learned um tried to glean from the the mystery that is traditional publishing acquisitions uh, is that uh when an acquiring editor uh goes to acquisitions and needs to present an idea to the team to sell it to them uh of course they need to you know make comps for books that are like within the last 5 years and that's super important because again they're making these you know like a PL that determines how much they're going to give for an advance and how much this book supposedly is going to make. And they, you know, have all all those future predictions, which kind of come out of nowhere to be honest, but they're using, I mean, they're trying to use data of of past books that are similar and and look at the demographics and audiences. Um, So I think certainly um, Fonda's series um w- was very instrumental um, as far as the science fantasy and then the martial arts element. Of course, um, Jade City is far different in a lot of other ways, and um, Fonda is like a much different author than I am. Um, and um, and that's obviously why another reason why we were able to get a blurb from her, which was so so fantastic. It was so great. To get, that was like one of the best moments to get it because I love I love the Green Bone Saga. Um, and then also I. Um, a little older of a series which is red rising which was a, a really big yeah. hit yeah, um, yeah. by Pier- pierce brown and that that is a little more on the sci-fi side but often people i've heard also describe that as science fantasy because i mean yeah there's there's some tech there's a bunch of tech in it but there's there's also as as uh you guys said before space in a way space wizards and space knights instead of uh lightsabers they have um like scythes uh, mm-hmm. uh and like uh various things like that. And so there's elements of, I would say, fantasy. And actually that if you look at some of these books that cross crossover, um, you know, that appeal to both science fiction and fantasy fans, they, they have some common themes like that. Um, and again, they're not too heavy on, on the um, science part of science fiction, I would say.
0: And, and now that, you know, you've kind of experienced both sides of it because you, you, you wrote your first book, um you know by yourself in your own head with no real network of support and now you've you've written two more books in the trilogy and i'm writing I'm to him that both of those two books came after you'd signed the deal with orbit for the
2: so i yeah i just published the third book and then orbit acquired and i like we pulled it down right up right away okay so that one just got out <laughs> just uh, like but then-
1: some people by the sneak yeah peek. but actually
2: the <laughs> the three books with orbit interestingly enough um you know most authors get a little worried about uh traditional editor cutting cutting their words uh when i got acquired by orbit they were like can you add 25% more to each oh, of really? these books so that yeah the the books that are coming out uh now um that are getting republished by orbit are significantly different i mean like the narrative skeleton is is similar i don't want to say it's like it's completely different but there is quite a bit more um character Development, character storylines that are carried on further, um, which is awesome because I had a chance. Most authors don't get a chance to like go back at all the potential critiques they had and be like, actually, some of those are pretty good. I'm gonna, I'm gonna <laughs> get version three out here.
0: As <laughs> and 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 how do you feel? I mean, I I think I might know what your answers now, but how do you feel com- comparing those two aspects of working on books by yourself or with a kind of network? Of, of team yeah. you know of editors do you prefer having that support system in place now yeah
2: i do i really like like for example i've written i wrote a screenplay recently with a, a friend another author and i had so much fun doing it i love the collaborative aspect and of course mm-hmm. like with with um uh you know traditional publishing co-writing is is fairly difficult to do but i, I just like the collaborative collaborative aspect like i'm not the type of author that um is is married to my work and i won't uh, and i think it's perfect and i won't change it like i really try as hard as i can and actually enjoy working with editors even copy editors like some of the copy edits that were but got me um i'm a ama- i'm in awe of like the, these people like for example a recent copy editor on the second book was like talking about you know it wasn't like a it was like a world building copy edit i guess that could be called a line edit almost um based on like the geography of like the sun was setting, they like noticed that I had made the sun set in the West from this nation and this nation was p- positioned next to it. And therefore it was like West instead of East. And I, and it was like, oh, well, it was like, yeah. these are things that I would not, I'm like yeah. amazed at, like I would never, I don't have the brain to, to catch this stuff in my
0: work. But there's someone out so, there who would have found it and would have went mental at you. For right. Exactly.
2: <laughs> they're like the sun sets in the west and this you is position this.
0: <laughs> and they're traveling
2: yeah so it, that sort of thing and then also working with um, developmental editors, my editor Bradley at Orbit. Um, they're just they're so passionate and I like that collaborative. The hard part though is like the waiting as as we've all as we all know like you have to just. Yeah. Th- those uh those flurries of collaboration are are like not the the regular not the norm the norm is like a black hole of of not nothing and then you get a lot of of collaboration which i really thrive on
1: and and what is your what is your process then um and has your process changed now that that you have moved into a world where you're getting feedback and things like that do you with the combat codes initially, did you sit down and plan it out or did you just sort of pants it?
2: Yeah. I'm a lot more on the discovery side. I I do have a problem with outlining where it kind of takes the fun out of it, Mm -hmm. I guess. And I try, I've tried to outline and I think it it would be helpful. I think I, as a more, as more of a pantser discovery writer, um, I definitely, um, you know, walk myself into, into problems. (laughs) Um, but it's just, it's just uh, again, it's the way that I in, try to enjoy writing the most, um, like discovering where the characters are going. And um, as far as uh, right now, again, because we're working in kind of a a world that I've already built, um, it hasn't been a problem, or I haven't had to change much of it. You know, I, with the new scenes, I've been able to work off of what's already there, so we haven't come come up against any reason that I've had to change that that process it's just now during edits there's just many 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 additional layers of uh copy edits and structural edits and first pass second pass I don't know how many passes there are there's a lot of passes
0: (laughs) do you do you miss having any sort of you know are the things you miss about being self-pubbed like the kind of i guess the downside is that you have to do everything yourself but the upside is that well you've got total control over everything and that's i guess a good and bad thing but like you know the cover arts for instance was very different on, on your own version versus what it was changed to when orbit bought it and and do you miss having that control or do you are you quite happy to kind of network that out and share to your around
2: yeah i miss i do miss it um there's cert, uh, certainly like the ability with self-pub to be able to um uh, for example, get data on sales, like mm-hmm. day of, I think that's, that's really a bit and be able to, you know, uh, pivot marketing based on, you could like, for example, let's say you run a promotion, you can immediately see whether it worked or not, and then make changes based on what you see. And one would think that traditional is doing that, but they're obviously, you know, bandwidth is an issue and they're not working usually to that level of granularity. Um, So I, I my book is just now, uh, it, you know, tomorrow, which is June 13th is is the release date. And I'm not expecting based on what I've heard to get sales data, like real sales data, accurate sales data for, I don't know, several, mo- several months. Um, so that does kind of make me a little insane. Um, I'm mm-hmm. trying to not go insane because <laughs> I, uh, but based on what I'm used to, I, my, my in- inclination is to um, want to view the sales data, but at the same time, it could be good for me that I'm not like hovering over a a line chart and looking at it. It might be nice for allowing me to work on, you know, my next draft work on the next thing, as opposed to being so married. I mean, again, goes back to running a business. Um, if I were running a business, you want to know this data, but in this case I have so much less control. Um, so I kind of need, to relinquish it, it's just, I guess it's, it's like kind of a give and take type of thing.
1: Yeah, I I was going to ask as well about the, the fight scenes in the book, because obviously you mentioned you're, you teach martial arts, you're, you know, you are an expert at it. And it was actually on our, we're on a discord with uh, Nicholas Binge who wrote Ascension and he had. Yeah. I saw, I
2: hung out with Nick in, uh, in, uh, at Comic-Con in London. He's a great guy.
1: Yeah, so, um, yeah, he had said something on the Discord today because they were talking about, I was just trying to find the comment, but I couldn't find it, about, um, you know, the often it, it, what what writers can tend to do if they're starting out is, like, over-describe things like fight scenes and things like that. But he said, um, in fact, the exception I would make is the combat codes by Alexander Darwin because the fight scenes in that are perfect. You know, they're just written in a way that's very visceral and takes you in there and and is what you need so i mean do you do you when you're writing a fight scene like that do you not even plan that out do you just kind of think in your head right what what would happen next what would happen next or do you have a sort of choreography Mm -hmm. that you're thinking about when you're writing something like that
2: yeah no i i have talked about this quite a bit and um kind of the conclusion that I've come to is um, anytime you have an expertise in something like, for example, let's say Adrian Tchaikovsky again with, with science Mm -hmm. or um, any author that has an expertise, you know, Christian Cameron um, or John Gwynn with um, medieval weaponry and, and that, you know, that form of combat, it lends if done right, it will lend authenticity to the book, to the reader and to the book that is very, Uh, noticeable uh, that a reader will notice right away. However, you can also, uh, as you said, um, fall into a trap um, where you're over um, explaining something because you have a knowledge of a subject. So there is a balance that needs to be struck. Um, I do see, I mean, of course, again, so my expertise in martial arts, uh, grappling, you know, mixed martial arts definitely, I think has has done well to lend Ekta a, 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 um, authenticity to these scenes. However, I've, I've really had to both working with editors as well as, um, in my own edits, not only make sure it's going to be palatable to a, a normal audience that doesn't have this expertise, um, but also create, um, I almost see like writing fight scenes like dialogue in a lot of ways, where um, you can have a scene that's very dry, and and you don't really see the dialogue as having a purpose, um, there, mm-hmm. because there's no stakes. And the same goes with a fight scene. If there's no stakes, if if um, if you don't feel any tension, um, it will end up very dry, and that's where you know the the authenticity won't matter because it'll it'll just go over the reader's head the authenticity will only come into play we'll say oh this seems real if there are the, the t- if there is the tension created and, and the stakes that the the reader um will feel it's kind of like uh, i always go back to star wars um you know where they're firing the blasters everywhere and and no one's getting hit and it's like um especially after like i think in the beginning of the movie they said these the stormtroopers are like so well trained and, and and then no one's getting hit and it's just bouncing off um, and then actually in the recent Star Wars Andor, um, you know, they show in the, what, a very early scene, someone get shot and they like die. And I'm like, yeah. okay, mm-hmm. now this actually is completely different. You've just created like stakes. And I, again, I think it you can really go into detail as long as it's not over, over inundating a reader, um, as long as you have those elements. Um, and there's certain techniques which I've tried to utilize, which could be u- utilized for any scene, like, you, you know, a, going uh kind of like zooming out as you would um and and not you know staying on one character necessarily Mm -hmm. um kind of like joe abercrombie does a really good job Mm -hmm. of that in my opinion um in his fight scenes
0: i mean it it sounds to me like you're a very visual writer and i know you've obviously worked on scripts and stuff and you i I get the impression you kind of you you kind of see things visually in your head how they play out and that's how you kind of imagine the story but um when you're writing it and 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 you're touching there about things like authenticity and things and 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 imagine for it's a kind of sci-fi or sci science fiction science fantasy sorry um a story <laughs> where you, you know you could do anything and you and there's no limit you need to almost create that kind of artificial limit to ground the world and 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 something like you know you've got like kill bill which is a kind of martial art movie and it's and it's kind of grounded, but then they do crazy fight moves and they're leaping about and spinning and the five-point palm exploding heart technique and stuff, which is, you know, crazy, but it works in that way. Right, it does. I love that. I love the movie.
2: I love the second one even more. (laughs) Yeah, especially when, exactly what you're saying, where they're on the, my favorite scene is where they're on the plane I don't remember when she's on the plane and you see everyone has like samurai sword holders <laughs> exactly.
0: on yeah, the plane. Yeah, yeah. It's <laughs> a it's kind of weird <laughs> world that, that yeah. but they've sets the rules and that's like, cool, this is the rules. It's okay. to understand what, what the limits are, even though it's a made up semi real world.
2: Right. Yeah. You're working with kind of an open um, framework, um, like an, like an open API open framework. So you do have to create those rules. And again, I think that's true with even whether it's fa- fantasy or sci-fi, um, you can write the most unbelievable, the most crazy, um, or the most realistic, like you have, um, like, uh, like the beginning of Nick Binge's book Ascension, like it starts fairly, like it's almost like a, a, a less sci-fi and more like thriller, like yeah. Jurassic Park. Uh, and Jurassic Park's another great example where they're more grounded in the real world, but it's all about, you know, keeping the reader within the walls that you've created. Um, yeah, exactly. Otherwise, otherwise you kind of lose them.
1: Yeah, and and uh, are you able to say what's happening in relation to the film interest in the combat codes?
2: Yeah, no, that's kind of as I, I'm sure a lot of authors you've talked to or, or have heard from um, with the writers strike. Currently, everything mm. is is seems to be kind of on hold. I know there's still like apparently some things that are going on as far as development, but like obviously no one is. I'm not a screenwriter. Per se, you know, I've I've tried my hand at it, but I wouldn't be good enough to write my own script and no one would want to buy it. Or
0: <laughs> <laughs> so
2: I think a screenwriter would be would of course be a requirement to, for a next step. And that's always seemingly the first step. And I think right now it seems like a lot of that
1: is is on hold. And and so what is so combat codes is out tomorrow, you said, as we record this. Um what is in the pipeline for you after this yeah so it's all right now i mean i
2: have some other projects but right now um because it's a trilogy and we're going to release one every six months it's all hands on deck as far as combat codes the second book actually they just did the cover release for it today um griever's blood is out uh before the holidays in december and then the third one will be out around this time in 2024 um so and also because i'm adding so much material to each book, which requires like the drafting process. Again, um, it's more than just, uh, the you know, developmental edits. Yeah. It's like a whole extra step that is right now required um, for that. And then, um, yeah, I mean, I'm going to see how hopefully this book does well. And um, I'll be able to, you know, sell, pitch, sell, the next one i i know it i don't know if you can sell something on pitch depending on how your first book does um that would be i think that
1: would be nice but um or sell a manuscript do, do do you have ideas though are they are they separate from this universe or yeah i have i
2: have a few drafts um that in between all this you know spfbo acquisition which as we know goes so slow that i've written um and again my drafts because I'm a discovery writer are almost more outlines so mm-hmm. to speak i treat them almost like outlines with a, a bunch of dialogue and and very loose descriptions attached to them and so i i like to sit, sit those down for like a year even 6 months to a year and then come back at them with fresh eyes and decide whether they're worth um jumping into uh i have i have one which i'm which is like the comps would be um Westworld meets wolverine um which i'm thinking about uh thinking about working on and and we'll see how that again i have to come back to it i'm thinking of changing something from third person to first person seeing seeing how that kind of plays with it i haven't written something in first person yet so i'm I'm
1: interested in doing that Mm
2: -hmm. Um, i think it would work for this particular story
1: that sounds awesome
0: Awesome. that sounds very cool yeah and and
1: obviously combat codes you're you're in a sort of unusual position in the sense that um you're on the eve of of publication but it has been out before so you've kind of got a sense of what people think about it already but are you still do you still have those sort of pre-publication nerves about it
2: oh yeah i'm super (laughs) sure Ask my wife (laughs) i'm driving her crazy this week (laughs) um yeah, I I definitely 100% do. Um first of all, another thing between self pub and traditional is like there's very different. There's crossover with the audiences, but based on the actual like uh, Kindle Unlimited, a lot of self pub read on Kindle Unlimited, and my book was previously on that, and that's almost like its own uh, walled garden where a lot of people that subscribe to that will only read that, right? Because okay. which makes sense. They they pay for that subscription. There's a lot of books on there. Um, so this is really a whole new, um, which is one of the reasons why traditional publishing, I think was the right path is it's a whole new audience, um, for, for the book. So it's, it's, again, it's almost like, uh, and there, they also, luckily there are a lot of readers that have followed along and are interested in re-picking it up because it's changed quite a bit, um, and are, are getting behind it, which I, uh, I'm very thankful for. Um, but yeah, the nerves, the nerves are re- right there. Um, you know, there's launch events and stuff like that which it i'm glad i did a tour in the uk because i kind of like was able to go through some of those events and and practice what whatever pitches (laughs) and talking to people so hopefully that that will diminish the nerves but uh who knows
0: (laughs) i also suppose this is the um this is the kind of only time folk will find out how the story ends because they've never or unless they were very quick with book three they've not really had a chance to yeah yes. so maybe Maybe yes. they've, they've read the first two books and they think well and we who knows maybe i'll it change
2: i might change how book three ends in fact it, it, like i was able to plug a lot of potential holes in the the first way around so i think book three will be the one that probably gets the the biggest overhaul um but I, i'm excited for book two i've always liked middles as well um middles are always always
1: my favorite which, which one did you find hardest to write because when we've spoken to people sometimes the the obviously book one you're setting up the world you're setting up the characters and so you've got to lay a lot of the groundwork in book one and it's got to work completely as a standalone uh, normally um book two you're suddenly constrained by what you've set out in book one but and you've got to have bigger stakes than book one but you can't have them too big because you've got to end it all in book three Mm. so um and book three you've got to draw all the threads of the other books together uh, in a neat way that's satisfying so i mean which which are all different challenges in, in and of themselves but what did you find the the most difficult one to write
2: yeah but definitely book three um and i think it's like my personality um i book two was i had the most fun with actually because it's like it's like you've met all your characters you know you know who they are you know the world and the structure and now you get to play in the sandbox you created and that's that for me was so much fun and I, I personally like reading book twos as well I know a lot of people disagree with that but I, I as a reader you know the characters you don't have to invest it's hard to invest in a sci-fi fantasy world because you you have to learn all the various mm-hmm. terminologies and mine's not that heavy especially comparative with a lot of high fantasy um, as far as that terminology but you do have to invest as a reader. And then um, once you get to know them in book two, it's kind of like smooth sailing and you get to go on all the adventures. And So I did have a lot of fun writing book two. Book three is, is again, for those reasons, um, trying to, you have all these characters and you've formed, as an author, you've formed relationships with them and you want to send them off in the right way. Yeah. Um, and, and that is a lot of pressure. And it's yeah. actually, I think, technically very tough. All the threads that you have tied and I think it will uh, just based on having the resources of orbit, it, just like the copy it, the line edits that I talked about with the 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 uh, sun setting. I think that will make it quite a bit easier uh, keeping a lot of the world building straight.
0: Yeah, I, I often think that, um, <clears throat> especially the kind of ending of 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 things, especially big epics. It's 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 tough, and I feel if, You're it, if it goes. Talking about Dark Tower, aren't you? Oh, yeah, a little bit tower. Yeah, and I yeah. feel like because that's what people remember, right? Like if it if if it doesn't or Mass Effect or something where you know the ending of it didn't really click with people, and, it, and everyone's like it kind of sours the whole experience, and it's unfair because you could have enjoyed the first six books or the first yeah hours. But I think that's why minutes, that
2: we have authors that just fall off off the map. Like we all know who yeah. they are, but I think that's why they, they, the pressure grows. So it's like not even about yeah the audience; they are feeling pressure. From the audience, but end of the day, why why are we authors and what we're, we want to tell stories that we enjoy? And I think it's almost pressure on yourself to give the characters justice. So I think that's why these famous cases where authors have dropped off—they probably just have this self pressure um, to to do their characters right, especially in the final final of a trilogy. And, and I agree with you completely, Tariq.
1: Especially as well, if someone else has finished the story for you in a different format, and then <laughs> yeah. you you now <laughs> have to Martin then try is, and do it. Is yeah,
0: not going to exactly. finish that series. At all. <laughs> <Yeah>.
2: <laughs> and the expectations grow as the longer you wait Also, yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Totally. right, totally.
1: What was the last book that you read?
2: Yeah, actually we we had already touched on it. Um your the friend, uh mutual friend, Nick Binge. Um I I read I finished Ascension um right as I was traveling to London um on the plane and I had a fantastic time with it. I mean like I see why it was like a big uh it got optioned in, in a auction by so many movie company mm-hmm. movie production companies because you can just picture it as you're baby reading it as videos, a it?
0: yeah
2: as a thriller and and I think also for the fact that um I think I talked to Nick about this it, like a lot of books um especially high fantasy books from a production standpoint of a movie studio um would cost like you know in the hundreds of millions of dollars I think you know his book obviously I think he had he had described himself you just need like a, a bunch of like winter snow scenes <laughs> <laughs> and people yelling and <laughs> like parody, uh, and it?
1: sort of yeah monsters that you can't quite see what's happening and things right like,
2: that. like yeah. it would be very character character heavy so yeah. that i had a fantastic time with ascension
0: yeah, yeah it's a it's a, it's, it's, it's a great book um what about the last film that you watched
2: oh film so i have three little kids and i think um next it's my i used to be watching like many movies a week and um my my Film watching habits have, have sadly dried up quite a bit. I, so I went, I went to London and I watched two. That's where I get all my, my movie watching on the plane and the the tiny little screen. I watched uh, the menu that was totally through. I was like, especially in the setting of watching it on the plane. I was like sweating. (laughs) That was, that was was really good. I think I watched uh, an action. I'm trying to remember just like kind of a mindless action movie, which I'm, I was a fan of, uh, I don't even remember what it was, but I, I just passing the time. Cool. Um, TV shows though. Is that a separate question? TV yeah, well, shows? I was
1: about to ask you, but go into that. Yeah, yeah. TV show.
2: Oh, TV shows. Uh, my wife and I are watching Silo, which we're really enjoying. Oh, yeah, nice. I um, that, yeah.
1: Looking forward to that, yeah.
2: Right. The character, I mean, and sometimes with sci-fi fantasy, my wife is not as big of a fan, um, but I know, you know, like there's certain shows that she'll watch because clearly they, they stand on their own um another was like andor even though she mm-hmm. is not that in the star wars she was able to watch it because you could like take the characters um and place them in in any world um and then another show um that i did not recently watch but is is actually scheduled to the third season is going to be out the end of june is warrior uh on Mac. i guess it's called max oh, yeah, now yeah, I've I've, i'm just going to keep it. saying uh that show is fantastic it's one of the best martial arts show and it's not just martial arts it takes place in like uh turn of the century turn of the uh 19th century san francisco um just when like a lot of immigrants like chinese immigrants irish immigrants were like being or you know used to dig the the railroads um and so there it's about it's actually a screenplay that was written originally by bruce lee um cool and the story is, like, uh, apparently that's the reason that show Kane got made um a, lo- a long time ago. Uh, oh, yeah. This yeah. is, like, uh-huh. yeah. actually doing justice to screenplay. His daughter is, is a producer and um, oh,
0: nice. a- on the show.
2: It. And it's real. The characters are fantastic. It's, like, it's kind of like you were talking about with Kill Bill, Tariq. Like, it creates its own world so well. Yeah. That's not necessarily right. believable or real, but, like, it's you believe it and you're... it. it it makes you suspend your your disbelief um really well
1: did you watch that there was the other martial arts show into the badlands was
0: yes that,
2: oh yeah no that was yeah. that was super fun that's another one like it's kind of sci-fi martial yeah. arts yeah um, a that's too bad it got cancelled that was on i think amc or something
1: yeah no that was good i quite like that one i thought it was very odd when the guy simon Pegg's pal turned up in it uh, oh nick frost uh, uh, yeah <laughs> Not who you would expect in a martial arts film. (laughs) Well, the the
0: very, very last thing we always do is a super quick fire either or. And as you'll know, there's always one correct answer to give. But we'll start off with uh, Jackie Chan or Bruce Lee.
2: Oh, they're both good in their their own ways. Um, I'm just going to go with Bruce Lee based on overall impact even though i really like jackie chan and and yeah
1: cool Uh tv or cinema
2: um lately i've been again you can tell i've been watching a lot more tv but i'm going to go with cinema just because i that's i was a i was actually a film major in university and that was my original love and i'm gonna stick with it
0: nice <laughs> uh, nato or early bird so,
2: by nature, like if I was in an untouched environment, AKA without kids, <laughs> I would be like, I would be do I like writing in the morning, I like sipping coffee and reading a book in the morning, but I, I just can't do that. Um, So, I think I am an early bird, but there's I, but I've been forced to be do my work more at night, mm-hmm. if that makes sense. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> because because, because you're getting
1: woken up to do other stuff in the morning. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Yeah um music or no music when you're writing yeah so
2: um this is another one where i would love to be able to write with music because i love listening to soundtracks but i've found over the past several years they affect the writing too much um uh, editing though music for editing all all day
1: long okay cool
0: and the last question and the most important one in my view now you seem like quite a tech savvy guy so i'm going to say real book (laughs) or ebook
1: yeah,
2: um, I see the value in ebooks. I I travel with oh, them. God. I see the yes, <laughs> but um, the especially especially recently, as like uh, publishers have been sending me like arcs and stuff, and I've been like like smelling the books, and I really oh, do. God. You got the bu- you That's can't. It. I mean, if Eric, nice if they smell. released a Kindle, if they have the if next version the of Kindle, and they have a button, right? You press <laughs> yeah, the I like button. That. I would go with it. <laughs> So it just needs that one feature, version, whatever Kindle version good. they're on, I
0: like that. Make it make no, I, I, that's a smart move. I can see that. Just that's like, what Nick that a thing? said as well.
1: An ebook that looked like a real book, but it yeah. could have all the books on it, essentially. So yeah, if yeah. If, you, if you could make an ebook that was like a real book but it had everything in it, that's what you want. They have. just need the smell. Yeah, that's all <laughs> that's missing. Cool. Well, uh, thanks very much, Alex. That was a lot of fun.
2: That was great fun. Man. Thank you for having me. I really appreciate it. Big fan of the podcast and. Um, and excited to to listen to the next one too. After mine. I won't listen to mine.
0: Well, I mean, I know technically the guy picked books, hard books over eBooks, but, um, He's obviously not quite right in the head because that whole smelling books, that's this. this, this I don't, those people do shouldn't be given, you shouldn't be asked a question. They're just completely weirdos. Lots of people really like the it. smell of yeah. a, a new book. Lots of people should be locked up in prison. Marco.
1: <laughs> Seems a bit harsh. Um, <laughs> but yeah, it, 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 you could have won him over if you can invent that Kindle that has the I smell, know, a button a little, to a little, make it smell yeah, of, a, a of a real book. That
0: just releases the gas of Yeah, a, exactly. What even is that smell? paper like? it must
1: be like the, a mix of the paper the Human ink, and, and the glue i guess together <laughs> in Maybe fact it it's glue. like Maybe sniffing it glue high, yeah, yeah exactly yeah <laughs> um yeah no thanks very much to alex for coming on to the podcast uh, we did record that one back in june so um uh, apologies that it's taken a bit of time to get that one out there but um i think it was worth waiting for as i said at the start i think the the chat the about the whole self-publishing journey. We had this a bit last week with Mark Edwards as well, but, you know, it's always interesting hearing about how authors have made a success of that and also even what he was saying, now that he's traditionally published, he doesn't have that sort of micro-control of the data, Mm -hmm. of the ability to sort of turn a new advertising campaign on or, you know, things like that just to try and keep the book relevant, And I, I suppose. Yeah that when you're with a trad publisher, that's kind of the 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 payoff that you make. You you get a lot of backup, you get a lot of help, editors, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera, and obviously there are huge benefits, but you do lose a bit of the control. Yeah. And if you if you're someone that likes managing that, then I, I can imagine it's a bit difficult.
0: And I think I think it's it's really good to have chat to all these authors who have have kind of a foot in both worlds or have, or have experience of both worlds and are able to lay out the differences and the pros and cons because I think for so long self-publishing was always seen as a kind of poor man's you know way yeah. into the industry or you know if you can't get anywhere else try self self-publishing um and i think that's just not the case And i think i think i think there are very many positive reasons to go down the self-pub route that you don't get through the traditional route, such as the control of advertising and marketing I, and, and I, tweaking things i and, think that's
1: right and you, if I, I think it's clear from the people that we've spoken to Alex, Mark Edwards, Ryan Cale's another one that jumps to mm-hmm. my head. You know, you have to treat it like a job. You have to put the effort in to yep. make, make yep. a success of it. But if you do it professionally, if you do a, get a proper book cover, if you get an editor and all of this sort of stuff, then you, you know, you can make as good a product as a traditional part. And in fact, some cases you'll, you will, you know, you'll be putting more effort into it than a traditional publisher would put yeah, into yeah, it. So, yeah, I think even for authors, though, it can be still a bit of a, a you know, that that sort of inbuilt idea that self-publishing isn't worthy, uh, yes. as worthy as trad publishing. I think it is still a step that a lot of people need to get over. And yeah. um, I think as long as it's done in that professional way, then there isn't really much of a difference between the two these no. days.
0: At the end of the day, yes, seeing a book on a bookshelf is you know that kind of selfish that kind of yeah wanting to see it for your own sake etc but at the end of the day you're still an author you're still writing books people are still reading what you're writing and that is the most important thing
1: I, I just think of the the thing that always makes me pause is if you're at a party or something and someone says what do you do and you say oh i, I write books and they say oh you know who are you with or whatever and you say oh i self-publish yeah then they'd immediately think oh right you're not a real writer <laughs> you know yeah so i think yeah i think there is still a a societal definitely oh, 100%. snobbery there's, there's and definitely people about it. yeah yeah
0: so but they're just idiots
1: yes indeed indeed um so thanks very much to alex for coming on combat codes is out now and as we heard uh, the next one will be out very soon as well so uh, definitely go and pick those up and next week, we have another great guest and someone that is one of our main rivals in terms oh, of podcasting.
0: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. We're chatting with Sunya Dean, who has written uh, The Book Eaters. Um, it was our first uh, novel a few years ago. And as Marco said, is the co-host of the Publishing Rodeo podcast, our number one rival. <laughs> yes, in indeed. Podcast chart.
1: No, it, it's a very good podcast because it sort it's of... It's a very good podcast. Um, looks behind the scenes i guess and tells the raw stories i suppose is that is yes what you would say yes. um of of you know the the difficulties that even when you're publishing published or whatever or try to get into publishing what what the difficulties yeah can be can be found on on the road there so um yeah it's definitely worth tuning into that one as long as you don't drop this podcast Otherwise, oh, yeah, I wouldn't listen to it at all. For,
0: there's <laughs> room for both, but there's only room for one, and you obviously pick up. <laughs> yeah, exactly.
1: Um, but yeah, no, it's a great chat with you. so please do tune in for that one. If you enjoyed today's podcast, uh, please do take the time to rate and review us on uh, Apple Podcasts or your favourite podcast app, as that helps us to continue to get great guests on the podcast and helps us to get close to the Publishing Rodeo podcast in the charts.
0: And of course, if you would like to get in touch with us, you can always drop us an email, which is podcast at writegear.co.uk, or you can find us on every single social media platform out there. Just
1: search for... um, Not TikTok until you start learning how to dance.
0: (laughs) (laughs) You can find us on everywhere apart from TikTok by searching for at UK page one. And if you're on Mastodon, then we are writing.exchange forward
1: slash at page one pod. Yep, yeah, so uh, have a great week, and we'll speak to you next episode. See you later.